Scripture reading this morning, we will read passages where Jesus commissions his disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's word. Good morning. It's great to be with you again here at First Evangelical Church. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're watching online, this is our global missions conference, and we're thinking about the fact that of the world's eight billion people, three billion are still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. I am so excited about the message I'll be giving tonight that I would like to preach it right now. But I can't, and I'll explain to you why in just a minute. So I hope you'll join me back here tonight at 6 o'clock. The theme for our first Evan 2024 Global Missions Conference is listening to the Lord of the harvest. And the best way to do that is to pay attention to what he says to us in his word, the Bible. And the Bible text, which is the theme verse for our Global Missions Conference this year, is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15. In this verse, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and through them to us, and here's what he says. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. And so, with the Lord's help for our two final mission conference messages, the Bible message this morning and the Bible message this evening, I'll be giving a two-part series from the Old Testament book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to start turning there. And the title for our two-part series will be in the form of a question, what part of go don't you understand? What part of go don't you understand? And tonight's message will be built 
on this morning's message, so that's why we have to wait until tonight for that message, but I really would like to give it now, but I won't. So please be back here tonight at 6. Now our theme and our theme verse with, with these in our minds, take your Bible or the device on which you read the Bible, and look with me, please, at the first chapter of the God-given God-inspired Old Testament book of Jonah. In the opening verses of Jonah chapter 1, we read these words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go, and you'll notice I've capitalized and highlighted the whole word, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, we'll talk more about this tonight, but just to help us all get geographically oriented, the book of 2 Kings tells us that Jonah was from the northern Israel town of Gath-Hefer, Gath-Hefer, which was 12 miles to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Nineveh was located 500 miles to the east of Gath-Hefer, approximately where Baghdad, Iraq, is located today. Tarshish was located 2,400 miles west of Gath-Hefer on the southern coast of Spain. God told Jonah to go east to Nineveh. Instead, Jonah chose to go west to Tarshish. Now look with me, please, at the opening verses of Jonah chapter 3, where we read these words. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go, and you'll notice again that I've capitalized and highlighted the entire word, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and you'll again notice that I capitalized and highlighted the word went. Why? Because in the English language, the word went is the irregular past tense of the verb to go. Now, in both of these Bible passages we've just read, the word go plays a prominent part. In the first instance, in chapter 1, when God said go, Jonah rose up and fled. In the second instance, in chapter 3, when God said go, Jonah rose up and went. Now, it may be this year at our Global Missions Conference some of, the, some of the Lord is speaking to some of you for the first time, and he's saying, I want you to go. It may be 
that the Lord is speaking to some of you the second time because when he spoke to you the first time, you didn't go. And he, in his grace, is speaking to you again and saying, I want you to go. In either case, I hope you will listen to the Lord of the harvest. So for our message this morning and our message this evening, we'll be looking at the Old Testament book of Jonah. Now, before we go any further, I want to issue you a challenge. I'd like to invite you, encourage you, challenge you to read the entire book of Jonah at least once between when you leave here this morning and when you come back here tonight. You're all going to come back, right? Good. Jonah has four short chapters which contain 48 verses which boils down to 1,232 words. And in my Bible, the entire book of Jonah is on two pages and you can read it in five and a half minutes. So I would like to have a show of hands of anybody who says, by God's grace, between now and tonight, I will read the book of Jonah at least once. All right, very good, thank you. Now let's look together at the Old Testament book of Jonah, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. You watch while I read. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea.' 
Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll end our scripture reading there not forgetting that this is the word of God. If you stopped the average professing Christian on the street here in North America or elsewhere in the world and asked them this question, when thinking about the Bible, what is the first thing that comes to your mind whenever you hear the word Jonah? Nine times out of ten, the answer would be fish or whale. But that is not what the book of Jonah is about. The book of Jonah is not primarily a story about a fish, nor is the book of Jonah primarily a story about Jonah. The book of Jonah is primarily a story about God. The book starts with God. In chapter 1, verse 1, the book ends with God in chapter 4, verse 11. When you read the book of Jonah from start to finish, you are one-third of the way through the book before that fish is even mentioned for the first time. In fact, God is referred to by name or personal pronoun 20 times in the book of Jonah before the fish even appears for the first time in the story in chapter 1, verse 17. And in the entire book, the fish is only mentioned by name or personal pronoun five times in all 48 verses, whereas God is referred to by name or personal pronoun 67 times, which mathematically is an average of 1.4 mentions of God per verse. The book of Jonah, like the rest of the Bible, is about God. The one true 
God, maker of heaven and earth, the God and father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is who the book of Jonah is about. And the book of Jonah tells us who God is, what God says, and what God does. Yes, the, the book of Jonah talks quite a bit about the prophet Jonah, and we'll talk about him too before we end our study tonight, but he is not the focus of this book. If anything, Jonah is talked about as a negative example of what God is not like, of what God does not say, and of how God does not act. In studying the book of Jonah, it's, it's not much use to speculate whether the sailors on the boat became true followers of God after the storm was calmed or whether the king or people of Nineveh permanently repented and were truly converted after Jonah went there and preached because the book doesn't really tell us enough to know. And that's because the book wasn't written primarily to tell us about Jonah or the fish or the sailors or the Ninevites. The book of Jonah was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to tell us about God. And what the book of Jonah does is to contrast the going, loving, seeking, evangelistic, missionary heart of God with the staying, self-centered, self-serving, unevangelistic, anti-missionary heart of man as seen in the person of Jonah. That was such an important thing. I'm going to say it again. What the book of Jonah does is it contrasts the going, seeking, loving, seeking, evangelistic, missionary heart of God with the staying, self-centered, self-serving, unevangelistic, anti-missionary heart of man. Now watch. Naturally speaking, your heart is self-centered, and so is mine. Naturally speaking, your heart is unloving, and so is mine. Naturally speaking, your heart is anti-missionary, and so is mine. And that's why all of us here this morning, myself included, need to understand the loving, going, seeking, missionary heart of God and submit ourselves to him so that he can change us and make us more like himself. And that is what the book of Jonah is about. And God chooses to teach us this through a true story. Jonah is a true story. The story of Jonah really happened. This isn't fiction. This isn't make-believe. This isn't even a parable. Over 50 years ago in the uh, state newspaper in South Carolina, there was a picture on the front page of a huge fish 
that had been caught in the ocean, and its mouth was propped open with a large beam of wood. And standing full length in the mouth of the fish was a fully grown man. The newspaper caption under the photo said this, It's easy to see how the Jonah yarn got started. Now, for those of you not familiar with the word yarn, that means exaggerated story. Uh, When our kids were small and we would make long road trips in our car, we often played uh, music tapes in the car for our children to listen to and make the time go by more quickly. And some of those music tapes were about Bible stories. And one of those tapes was about the story of Jonah. And it went like this. Oh, Jonah, he was a loner in the belly of a whale without a phona. He went to Nineveh Street by the skin of his teeth, and he set those people straight in the ways of God. Oh, Jonah, that's no balona. He was a loner in the belly of a whale. I don't mean minnow. He was a loner in the belly of a whale. You can clap if you want to. Now watch, the story of Jonah really happened. This is not some far-fetched fable invented by someone to convey, you know, some general principles of morality and common sense. This is a true story. There are two Old Testament stories which are often the focus of Bible critics. Noah and the ark and Jonah and the whale. And Jesus, God the Son, when he was here in the flesh on earth, took great pains to deliberately underline the historicity and veracity of both of these stories. And he does so by comparing two important historical facts about himself with those two Old Testament stories. One of those facts about Jesus is his second coming. Jesus tells us that just as certainly as he came to earth the first time, he's going to come to earth again. And in Matthew chapter 24 verses 37 to 39, Jesus confirms the certainty of his second coming by referring intentionally to Noah and the ark. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware that the flood, until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I don't know about you, but these verses are very scary to me because they're referring to real events. Just as the flood and Noah and the ark really happened, so the second coming of Christ will really happen. I hope you're ready for that. The other historical fact about himself that Jesus underlines by referring to the Old Testament is his 
bodily resurrection. Jesus really died, and three days later, he really rose again bodily from the dead. And the bodily resurrection of Christ is a historical fact without which, the apostle Paul tells us, Christianity makes absolutely no sense at all. And Jesus underlines the fact of his bodily resurrection by talking about Jonah and the fish or the whale. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, the enemies of Christ ask him this question. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answers, destroy this temple, speaking of his physical body, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then in Matthew chapter 12, his enemies ask Jesus again for a sign. And Jesus says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus goes on further to underline the historicity and veracity of Jonah by saying, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah referring to himself one greater than Jonah is here the story of Jonah and the fish is a true story now here's an interesting question why is it that people have trouble believing in Jonah's fish Answer, because they have trouble believing in Jonah's God. If you believe in Jonah's God, you won't have any trouble believing in Jonah's fish. And if I believe in Jonah's God, I won't have any trouble believing in Jonah's fish. You know, down through history, there have been several stories written in reputable publications about people who have fallen overboard in the ocean and have been swallowed by whales or large fish, which subsequently have been caught by fishermen who have cut the fish open, found the person still alive, and those swallowed and rescued people have lived to tell the story. And it's tempting to tell a story like that to, you know, convince people that a story like Jonah is it's something that might could happen. But the Bible doesn't tell the story of Jonah as something that might could happen. The Bible tells the story of Jonah as something that could not happen apart from the miracle working power of God. If you believe in Jonah's God, you won't have any trouble believing in Jonah's fish. And the book of Jonah is about God. Listen. God hates the sin and wickedness of the Ninevites. God calls Jonah to go to them with the message of his judgment and forgiveness. God follows Jonah, so to speak, when he runs away. God sends the violent storm to stop Jonah going in the wrong direction. God sends the fish to swallow Jonah. God commands the fish and it spits Jonah out. 
God graciously calls Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time. God was with Jonah when he preached to the Ninevites because we read that after he preached to them, it says in the text, they believed God. God had compassion on the Ninevites when they repented. God graciously replied to Jonah when he complained and questioned what God was doing. God provided a vine to shade Jonah from the hot sun. God provided a worm to eat the vine so that it withered. God sent a scorching wind to exacerbate the hot sun that Jonah was now sitting under. And the book ends with God showing Jonah that he, the loving, going, seeking, missionary God, not only cares for the spiritual state of people, but he also cares for the physical safety of animals. Here's a Bible trivia question for you. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, what's the very last word in the book of Jonah? Answer, the last word in the, verse, um, in, the, in the last verse of the book of Jonah is the word cattle. Cattle. Look at the last verse of the book of Jonah, chapter 4. God is speaking to Jonah, and he says this. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So the book of Jonah ends by showing us that God's concern for the physical safety of animals is greater than Jonah's concern for the spiritual destiny of people. Now, for the final portion of our missionary Bible message this morning, I'd like you to think with me just a little more about the person of Jonah as given to us in God's Word. And I don't know about you, but whenever someone refers to, to the Jonah in the Old Testament, a negative connotation comes to my mind. You know, Jonah was a bad person who did something bad. So what did he do? Well, he didn't lie. He told the sailors on the ship who he was when they asked him. He was very honest in the conversation he has with God in the last chapter. He didn't steal anything. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't covet anything that we know of. He didn't take the Lord's name in vain. He knew his Bible well. Bible commentators have found 20 references to other Old Testament passages in the prayer that Jonah prays to the Lord in the belly of the fish. And Jonah had a right understanding of who God is. In fact, Jonah, if being considered for membership at First Evan in Memphis, Tennessee, I think we would accept him. Of course, we want to know what he believes before we allow him to join this church, and he, he tells us in the book of Jonah. Look at chapter 3, verse 2, where Jonah gives us his personal, condensed, but accurate doctrinal statement about God. Speaking to God, Jonah says this, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So, in a, in a way, I can imagine Jonah meeting with the elders of First Evangelical Church, during which time they ask him several questions. Elders, Jonah, do you believe God is gracious? Jonah, I do. Elders, do you believe God is merciful? Jonah, I do. Elders, do you believe God is slow to anger? Jonah, I do. Elders, do you believe God abounds in steadfast love? Jonah, I do. Elders, do you believe God will relent from disaster and have compassion on those who truly repent? Jonah, I do. 
And at that point, one of the elders says, I move that this man be accepted into the membership of this church. Another elder says, I second the motion. The chairman of the elder board then says, the motion has been moved and seconded. Any discussion? Hearing none, I now call for the question. All in favor say aye. Oppose the same sign. Hearing no opposition, I declare the vote to be unanimous. Welcome Jonah into the fellowship of our church. Now the victory the fictitious scene I just verbally painted for you is entirely conceivable. So if the Jonah of the Old Testament is such a good person and believe the right things, why do we still have a negative impression in our minds when we think about him and his story? I mean, what was his great sin? What did he do wrong? And the answer is, it's not what he did. It's what he didn't do. And at this point, I want to give you seven words to write down. In fact, you have your worship folder this morning, and there's a whole blank page there for you to take notes. And if you haven't written anything there yet, write this down. You may even want to write these seven words in your Bible at the beginning of the book of Jonah. Here they are. When God said go, Jonah said no. When God said go, Jonah said no. I want everybody to say this out loud together with me. Here we go. When God said no, Jonah said no. And while you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Omission is just as great a sin as commission. Omission is just as great a sin as commission. Omission, the right things that you don't do, is just as great a sin as commission, the wrong things that you do do. So if um, you meet somebody today who wasn't here this morning and wasn't watching online, and they say, what did Dr. Murray preach about? You tell them, he told us that when God said go, Jonah said no. And omission is just as great a sin as commission. When God said go, Jonah said no. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, but why is it a sin not to go? Because God's Word tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that sin is anything that falls short of the glory or character of God. Anything that falls short of the loving, seeking, going, missionary character of God is sin. Now, one of my favorite cities in all the world is Belfast, Northern Ireland. Years ago, I was walking on a very crowded street in downtown Belfast when suddenly everyone in front of me split and walked either to the right or to the left, giving wide berth to a wild-looking man standing in the middle of the sidewalk. 
He had a sandwich billboard on his chest and on his back tied together by a rope over each shoulder and on that white sandwich board poster on his chest and on his back were written these large words in bright red letters on a white background. Be sure your sin will find you out. And of course, the statement made people very uncomfortable because it made them think about all the wrong things that many of them were doing. And so they sought to distance themselves from that man and his sign. And as most of you probably know, the words on that man's sandwich board are a direct quote from the Bible, from the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. If you study Numbers 32 carefully, you'll discover that Moses is the one who said those words just before the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan and entered the land of Canaan to the west. And he said those words specifically to the two and a half tribes of Israel who were planning with God's blessing to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan River and settle there with the understanding, however, that they would cross over the Jordan and help their fellow Israelites conquer the land of Canaan before they settled back over in the east. Earlier in this same chapter of Numbers, Moses asked the two and a half tribes this question. Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given to them? And then he follows that question with this statement. Be sure your sin will find you out. And what was the sin he was referring to? The sin of not going now look, look with me one more time at the missions conference theme verse, which is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Are you taking that verse seriously? This church takes that verse seriously. That's why we have an annual global missions conference. And the word go that we see here is a strong Bible word. It's a strong word in the Old Testament. It's a strong word in the New Testament. In fact, you can study this word go in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Syriac, Ugaritic, French, German, Dutch, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Urdu, Tagalog, Arabic, Mandarin, Cantonese, and it always means the same thing. It means go. It's a synonym for don't stay. So let's end our message this morning with the title question of today's two-part sermon series. So what part of go don't you understand? God, through Moses, told the two and a half tribes to go into Canaan. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. And God calls us to go to the whole world with the message of the gospel, and there are still three billion people waiting to hear that message for the first time. Tonight, Lord willing, from the book of Jonah and God's word, we'll see more about what it means for you and me to go. I can't wait. Let's pray.
We thank you, our God, for your holy word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who went from heaven and came to earth for us. Help us to go with the only message of salvation to the whole world, especially to those who are waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.